Good morning, men, and welcome to the uh, Everyman live stream. I want to appreciate your time and appreciate you being part of the Everyman movement. My name is Jason Park. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And when Pastor Kenny is out of town, um, I get the opportunity to hang out with you every once in a while. And for the next two weeks, I will be here and we will be talking about this topic of courage. Courage, real courage. Courage that we're to have as men of Christ versus the type of courage that culture calls us to have. If you have been around Pastor Kenny for any period of time, he's reminded us that we are constantly surrounded by people that are in need. Pastor Kenny would say that if you were in a room with 10 people, nine of, nine of them have some type of need to be met. As, as men of Christ, as courageous men, we are called to, to enter into that need and to pay attention and to see where we can help others. As men of culture, we are reminded of to not enter into that need and only to look after our own need. A man of culture is afraid to ask the question, how can I help? He's afraid to ask because what if, as a man of culture, I have what somebody else needs and I don't want to part with it. So I'm, I'm afraid to enter into that situation because I am so, so focused on myself. I'm, I'm afraid to enter into that relationship because that's exactly what, what fear does. It prevents us from having that relationship, but that's not the man that we are called to be. A man, a man of culture doesn't want to have those conversations. A man of, of culture doesn't want to, want to enter into those relationships. But as man of Christ, we are called to be courageous. We are called to look past ourselves and, and look at others. You see, a, a man of Christ, a, a man of courage is the opposite of, of the man of culture. The man of culture, he doesn't have courage. He, quite frankly, is just a coward. He's a coward because he only looks after himself. On your handout, and I definitely encourage you to upload the handout from the Facebook page or the Everyman website, I've included um, a, a line, a sentence from the Law Enforcement Code of Ethics. There's four paragraphs in the Law Enforcement Code of Ethics, and I haven't reminded you yet this morning, but I've been a police officer for almost 27 years. That is, that is my, uh, my full-time job, and, and this is my real job, or, or the opposite, or, or both. I have to remind myself on a, on a regular basis, but I've included this sentence, and it reads, I will maintain courageous calm in the face of danger, scorn, or ridicule, develop self-restraint, and constantly be mindful of the welfare of others. There's two recurring themes in the Law Enforcement Code of Ethics. One is about serving others. The first sentence in the Law Enforcement Code of Ethics reads, my fundamental duty is to serve people. So there's this reminder to serve others and then there's this reminder of, of my identity as a law enforcement officer. And it kind of reminds us of this book right here about serving others and in, in our identity. And my identity as a police officer is about serving others. It's about being courageous for others. Because when I am just courageous for myself, when I'm just looking after my own needs, I'm not courageous. Like I said, I'm a coward. I'm a coward because I'm afraid to look past my own needs. And when we fall into that trap of just looking past our own needs and deciding just for ourselves, 
We, we don't want to overcomplicate the situation. We don't want to enter into that, that uncomfortable situation of, 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 of fulfilling a need from somebody else because of the, the nature of inconvenience. And quite frankly, that's what we're really good at. We're overcomplicating the situation because I'm so focused on myself. Reminds me of a, a trip that I made a few years ago. We were in Haiti, some of the men from our church, and we were visiting this. The best way for me to describe it is it's a convalescent home. It's a convalescent home of people that are elderly or physically disabled or have intellectual disabilities that are so severe that they can't look after themselves. And sadly, in the country of Haiti, these, these people are quite frankly, they're just kind of left in the street. And there's this amazing organization that's made up these, these Catholic um, folks that look after these people. And we will visit there and we will go and we'll show up with gifts and we'll create service opportunities. And it's just a, a great time for us and for them. And so on this particular trip, we visited there. And we'd been there multiple times, and I was accustomed to going there and what, what was expected of us. And on this particular day, we just showed up and said, how can we help? And so they were divvying up the guys, and we were going to different parts of the location. And then the last two guys that were left were me and one of the pastors from the church, Pastor Greg Monk. So you can't tell by looking at me, I'm 6'6 and 250 pounds, and Greg's about my size too. And so we looked at this nun, and I said, we said, how can we help? And she says, we need you to help bathe some of the children. We need you to help bathe some of the children with physical disabilities and deformities and intellectual disabilities. They can't bathe themselves. Now, even as I'm reminded of her telling me that, I can feel my heart beating faster because I thought, wow. I knew I was going to make an emotional investment that day, but I wasn't aware that it was going to be so significant. And I immediately started thinking of myself and, and what this meant to me. And this seemed to be such a greater inconvenience for me that day. And quite frankly, I was a little bit panicked to go and, and to serve these young children that were incapable of serving themselves. And like I said, I've been a police officer for a long time. Pastor Greg's a former Marine. We're probably the biggest guys in the entire country at that moment. And we're a little freaked out. So she led us into this room. And like she had mentioned, these children were physically and mentally incapable of bathing themselves. They wore diapers. And as we entered the room, they were kind of on the floor. And some of them were, were blind. Um, some of them um, were, they, they couldn't move really. And they saw us come in and they just all kind of reached up to us. And it was as if they wanted some, some, some human touch. And so she told us what we were to do. We were to bring the kids over to this one area and we'd, We'd strip them down and we'd take off their diapers and we'd take them to this wash basin and we'd, we'd clean them. And then we'd take them to another area and we'd, we'd put a diaper on them and we'd put clothes on them. And, you know, this lady's looking at these pig, dumb white dudes. And uh, she says something in Haitian we don't understand, but basically what she's saying is, come on, guys, you got to move a little faster. So Greg is, has five kids, so he's mastered the art of the diaper and the onesie. So he starts going there, and so I grab another child. 
and I bring them over to the wash basin and I take their diaper off and some of them have soiled themselves. And I remember spraying one boy with the water and he smiled and he giggled like little kids do. And so I mimicked the sound that he made and I, I giggled and laughed and he would make a noise and I would make a noise. And I hear Greg across the room doing the same thing. And so we would wash him and I'd take him back to Greg and he'd start that part of the operation. This room, it was so hot. In, in Haiti, it's, it's, it's hot all year long. You've, you've heard the phrase, it's hotter than Hades, right? Well, Haiti is hotter than Hades. It was 150 degrees in this room and Greg and I are pouring sweat and it's, it's the hardest CrossFit workout I've ever done in my life. And we're moving these kids around and we're cleaning them and we're singing them and we're singing Sunday school songs and praying over them and they're giggling and they're laughing and we're laughing. And we, we watched about 15 or 20 kids all the way down to kids that were just infants. And we finished up and Greg and I are just kind of pacing at what we just done. And we're, we're just wrecked physically and, and emotionally wrecked of what we had just done. And the thought that kept going through my head, one, was the thing that I had done for that child and it reminded me what Jesus has done for me, how he cleansed me in a way that I wasn't capable of cleansing myself. But really what I felt was I had overcomplicated it. <clears throat> you see, it was really simple. These kids just needed for us to spend time with them and show love to them. And to not be afraid of what that meant to me, but what it meant to them. Now the context of the relationship in the moment was a bath and a diaper and a onesie and a song and a water hose or whatever. But really, we were just there spending time with them. You see, sometimes we overcomplicate it. We think about ourselves and we're not courageous because when we think about ourselves, we're really just cowards because we let fear consume us and fear drives out everything else. It causes us to be protective of ourselves and we are called to be courageous men and not cowards. So if you have a Bible in front of you, you can open it up to 1 John 4 and we're gonna go from passages 17 to 21, but if it's okay with you, I just assume have a time in prayer. Would you please close your eyes and bow your head? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for what you've done for us, Lord, and I pray that as an appreciation of what you've done for us, we would respond to that and do for others as you have done for us. Lord, we thank you. We offer this time as a form of worship. We love you, Lord. And all God's men said, amen. So once again, 1 John 4, 17 to 21, it reads, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. 
And he has given us this commandment. And anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. That one line right in the middle of that passage, it says, but perfect love drives out fear. When our focus, when our priority of love we don't think about fear. The opposite is true as well. When we are so consumed by the fear of the moment, in the moment that I just described to you is a moment of entering into a relationship with somebody else, is entering into a need with somebody else. We just got out of a five-week series talking about loving strong. And part about loving strong is willing to take a risk in a relationship. And today when we talk about real courage. We're talking about loving strong and making love a priority and looking past our own fears that don't make us courageous, but make us cowards. As we want to be courageous. When I'm afraid, I think about me. I get over consumed with me. I respond to my gut instincts and my gut is always thinking about me. When I'm focused on love, I don't think about me. I think about others. When I'm afraid, I push everyone away and I isolate and I protect. When I'm unafraid, when I'm courageous, when I'm focused on love, I draw people in and I focus on them and I don't get focused on me. As courageous men, that's our priority. Our priority is not ourselves. It's not our fear. Our priority is others. Our priority is love. Your first feeling on your hand out there is we have to prioritize love. Pastor Kenny, for as long as I've been listening to him teach, he says he wakes up in the morning and he says these words, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's, he's making a choice. The day hasn't even started. We don't know what it has in store for us, but we will rejoice. We have, to, we have to prioritize love. It is a choice that we make because all day long we are going to be forced to face our fears. And once again, we can get consumed by our fears and just focus on ourselves as, about, as opposed to focusing on love and, and focusing on others. But it is a choice that we make every single day to focus on others. Today, on my way to the studio here, like I do every day in my life, I go get my coffee, right? I go to the same coffee place in San Juan Capistrano that I've been going for close to 20 years, and I go in. I know everybody that's there. Today, it was Tom was behind the counter working the cash register. Tom's been there the longest. He's been the longest employee of Starbucks there compared to anybody else. Tom has two daughters. They're in their mid-20s. They both live on the East Coast. One is an EMT, maybe wants to be a fireman or a police officer one day. Tom has another da daughter. She has some, some health issues. She has an, an autoimmune disease. The other young lady working behind the counter, her name is Kindred. Kindred's new. I don't know Kindred so well, but I will get to know her because I go in there every day and I tell them good morning. I ask them how they're doing. When there's that, you know, you know subtle um, game break that, will happen in a Starbucks, I can ask Tom how his daughter's doing. And when he tells me she's not doing so well, I tell him, I'm going to pray for her. And I will have the same conversations with, with Kindred and the other employees that there are there. And I can tell you all their names because I take the time to go in there. Now, I could do it another way. I could do it the convenient way. The convenient way is I use the app, right? The app that allows me to order for my car and I can open the door and I don't have to make any eye contact 
and I can grab my coffee and I can step out. I don't have to invest any emotional energy in anybody in the room. It's great for a man of culture who's only focused on himself, right? Better yet, I can use the app and I can do curbside assistant, but a person's going to bring my coffee to me and I have to engage with them. And, you know, I don't really want to engage with a person. I don't need that, that kind of pressure as a man of culture. A man of Christ, a courageous man, wants to go in there and make that choice. But we have to, to make that choice every single day that we're going to be a courageous man and that we're going to, to love others and we're going to prioritize love. When I think back to Greg and I and us and the children and what they needed in that moment <clears throat> and how I overcomplicated it. You see, I was worried about me and in the moment, I thought, well, how can I actually help these kids? What do I have that they that could possibly help them? When in reality, it was simple. They just needed somebody to hang out with them and spend time with them and show love with them within the context of, of it being bath day. But we need to prioritize love. When we prioritize love, when we prioritize other people, it gets us in a state of, of readiness. You know, in law enforcement and the tactical community and military environment, we talked about situational awareness. Our situational awareness as a courageous man is better when we're paying attention to what's going on around us. And when I say what's going on around us, I mean the needs that are surrounding us. Even, even when you start to think about that, the needs that are around you, the, the people that are in your life, you're probably starting to think about your neighbor or the person that you share a workspace with or somebody from the gym that has a need, but there's something in you that's been afraid to ask. It's afraid to ask how you can help because you were like me with those kids in Haiti. You don't want to overcomplicate that. So I want us to be men of courage. I want us to be men that are not focused on ourselves, but are focused on loving each other, loving others more importantly. So your next three fill-ins here, as we're putting ourselves in that, in that state of readiness and, and, and in a position that we're to help others, is your first fill-in is recognize that there is a need. Recognize that there is a need. And what I mean by that is walk into the room walk into the situation knowing that we are surrounded by need. It, it doesn't take us to have some sophisticated degree or level of awareness to assume there's people around us that have needs. They're people. They have jobs. They have families. They have wives. They have kids. They have challenges just like we have. There are people that are around us that have needs and we have, we have to recognize that and not assume that everybody around us doesn't have a need because they're not bringing it to us. Sometimes we got to go to them and ask them what their need is. So we got to recognize that there's need around us all day long. Secondly, we have to see people in need, see people in need, start to look around and pay close attention. If we walk into a room, we walk into a situation, we think about the people that we spend time with, and we start to recognize, okay, there's people that are around me that are in need. And I start to pay attention. I start to, to take the blinders off, right? I, I stop using the app that allows me to not have any conversation. Um, I stop using situations because it's convenient for me. You know, I was thinking about that today is I was thinking about how I was going to use this as an illustration is, is those, those apps that I just described to you, there's a convenience to that, right? But where there's convenience, 
there's consequence. And the consequence is we don't get to enter into that relationship. We don't get to see that person in need. So we have to realize that there's people that are around us that are need and, and start to pay attention. And then lastly, address the need. Address the need. If we were just to stop right there, and I was just to tell you, our mission for today is recognize that there's needs around us, see people that are need, and, and address the need. I could pray and we could walk away. That would be plenty for us. And that's really what we're called to do, is to realize that we're surrounded by need. Look around for the people that are need and address the need. Now, addressing the need, it comes in all shapes and sizes. It doesn't mean necessarily we're fulfilling the need. There's needs that we can't possibly meet, but we could tell people that we're praying for them. We could actually pray for them on the spot. We can give them a hug. We could tell them that we love them. We could do something for them to remind them that there's somebody else that's helping carry this burden in their life when we address the need. But we got to pay attention to what's going on around us. So as we think about recognizing there's a need, seeing people in need and addressing the need. The first thing I want us to think about is anticipate the opportunity and don't ignore it. Anticipate the opportunity and don't ignore it. What I was describing in your first three films is that, that ability for us to anticipate the possibility because we're men of Christ, we're courageous men. We're going to anticipate there is a need out there for us. When I worked patrol, I had a sergeant that would say to us, there's somebody out there waiting for you to help them. And I remember that he would say that. And I would think, you know what? It made me pay attention just a little bit closer, thinking that there's somebody out there that's waiting for my help. There's somebody that's out there that's waiting for your help. They're waiting for you to address their need. And like I said, you can't solve 100% of the problem, but you can come in there and you could spend time with them in that problem. There's somebody that, that's waiting for us. That's the man of Christ. That's the courageous man. The man of culture, he wants to ignore the need. And he wants to ignore the need. First Peter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16 reads, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ was revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Satan wants us to be weak. Satan wants us to be unaware. He doesn't want us to anticipate that there's needs around us. He wants us to ignore them. He wants us to ignore the needs that are around us. Reminds me of a few years ago, I'm at a gas station and I'm putting gas in my truck and I look over and there's a lady putting gas in just a one gallon container, which is a little bit strange at a gas station because usually you're putting gas in a car. So naturally, you know, the, the man of Christ is saying, hey, why don't you go see, you know, what she might need. The, the man of culture the, who's arguing with my brain says, you know what, this is probably a shtick that she has. She goes to gas stations 
and she pretends to put gas in a container so that I can go up to her and give her money and she can use that money to buy drugs and drugs are bad, therefore don't engage, right? Seemed like a really good argument for me at the time and then I look over and the gas container is, it's a brand new gas container. It still has a, a sticker on the side. In fact, it's exactly the same gas container that's stacked up in the windows at that gas station like she just bought it. And she can't get gas in the container. She can't make it work. So, okay, I thought, well, I'm gonna go over and I'm gonna help her. And so I help her put gas in the container and she, she fills up that container. And she's, she's a little bit uncomfortable. And honestly, she looked like somebody, the way she was dressed, it was later in the afternoon, like she had, like she had been at work. And I asked her, I'm like, do, do you need any other help? And she said, no, um, I, don't, I don't need any other help. She just kind of wanted to get past the, the uncomfortable interaction with me. And I was absolutely certain in the moment that, that she needed help. And I just asked her, I said, where, where have you run out of gas? <clears throat> she said, well, you know, not too far from here. And I could tell she was a little bit scared. You know, here I am, this, you know, 6'6", 250 pound stranger asking her where a car ran out of gas. So I had my badge on me and I, I pulled out my badge and I said, I'm a police officer and I, I'm a pastor too. Let, let me help you. So she let me drive her to her car. We put the gallon of gas in there. It started. Victory. Looks like we can move on now, right? And I said, well, where are you driving to? And she told me the city she was driving to, which was about a gallon of gas away. And I said, do you have enough gas to get there? And she said, well, I, I, I hope so. And I said, what do you mean you hope so? She said, I, that, that's all the money I had. And I said, follow me. I drove her back to the gas station. I put gas in her car. I filled her up. She tried, she tried to talk me out of it. I said, listen, man, I'm convinced you and I were, were, were designed for this moment. I want to help you and please let me help you. So we put gas in her car. <clears throat> I had 60 bucks in my pocket and I said, hey, you got a gas, a tank full of gas that's probably good for this week and here's next week's gas. And I said, let me pray for you. And she's looking at me like, you know, one, she's embarrassed, but she's so, so appreciative. I prayed for her and, and sent her on her way. It would have been so easy for me to ignore that situation. You know, not only that, it would have been really easy for me to just put the gas in her container and not want to look past the awkwardness of driving her to her car. I could have put gas in her container and driven away. That would have been enough. I would have even used that as an illustration today for not ignoring a need from others. But it would have been really easy for me to ignore all of that as opposed to being inconvenienced just a little bit. Let's face it. When we drive away from situations like that, we don't feel like we're inconvenienced. We actually are doing precisely what we are designed to do, living out our identity, and, and that's the best thing ever. But we have to anticipate the opportunities and be cognizant of not ignoring it. Next, we have to look past the situation and see within that situation there's a sinner. We have to see the sinner. You see, sometimes we, we get overcomplicated by the situation. When I was looking at that lady at the gas station, I was looking at all these different parameters. I was picking up all this different information about what might be going on. And bottom line is, there was somebody that was in need. And Jesus was, was so good at seeing the sinner. The next passage here is John 8, 3 through 4, and also passages 6 through 8. 
this, this famous passage in, in John 8, and, and if you've heard me teach on a variety of occasions, I'm constantly referencing this passage because it's one of my favorites where Jesus is so good about seeing the priorities of the situation. It reads, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So Jesus is there in the temple. He's teaching. I imagine that this is a temple. It's a large place. There's probably a large gathering of people that are there to hear from Jesus. And he gets interrupted by these Pharisees who are there to try and trick him. And they're going to use as a pawn this lady who they caught in adultery to trick him. Jesus could have responded in all sorts of ways. He could have been just offended that they came and interrupted him teaching from the word of God. That they had come into his house of worship and had used that time in his house of worship for something that wasn't productive. There was a time when Jesus was tossing over tables in similar instances, but he didn't respond that way. He could have responded to the fact that they were trying to trick him, right? They were trying to convince him to say something that was going to cause him to, to be contradictory so they could use that for somewhere else. But Jesus was in control of his emotions, and he looked past the situation, and he saw that there was a woman, that there was a sinner, there was a sinner that was in need. That he didn't get distracted by them, he got focused on her. Right? He got focused on her. And what did he do? He addressed the sinner and he addressed the need of that sinner. That's the next fill in there. Then, in addition to seeing the sinner, we shouldn't overcomplicate the situation, but we should meet the need. We should meet the need. I explained to you a scenario where I was overcomplicating the situa complicating a situation in Haiti with these small children as opposed to me just, me just meeting the need. And as we continue on in the story, we get to see how Jesus met the need. Continuing on in John 8, 6 through 11, it reads, But Jesus bent down and he started writing on the ground with his finger. When they questioned him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground at this. Those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus looked past that situation, which very, very well could have been a very complicated situation where he could have been frustrated with it, interrupted him. He could have lashed out at these Pharisees that are trying to, to um, use this, this poor woman, that are trying to trick the Son of God. And he doesn't even address them at all other than saying, hey, the one of you that's perfect, you can address her. You, you can do what you say the Old Testament does. You can stone her, the, the perfect one. And then he just focuses on her. He meets the need of her. You know, we have this picture of her kind of standing in front of this crowd. And Jesus says he gets down on the ground. He, you know, 
it's like he got on her level, but he, but he even he even lowered himself even more, and he starts riding on the sand. And one day, one day we'll figure out what he was riding. And then they then they chip away. And I love the line. It says he straightened up. Right? He got on her level, but he also defended her honor. He straightened up to her. There's this picture of him standing up and getting between her and them. He he was this form of protection. You know, Jesus hated bullies. Jesus hated bullies because these guys hid behind their their law, they hid behind their education, they hid behind their position. They used her as a pawn, and they were bullies. Jesus hated bullies. So he met her dignity. He, he protected her honor. And he also, he took away her pain. He says to her, so who's here that are saying what they're saying? He says, who is, who is here condemning you? And she looks, she says, no one. He says, well, I'm not condemning you either. He took away her pain. The pain that she was experiencing that, in that condemnation, right? He healed her, and that condemnation was gone. Jesus, he saw the sinner, and he met their need. We need to see that there's people around us that are in need, and we shouldn't complicate the situation. We should just address the situation and, and see how we can help meet their needs. And like I said, quite often we sit back and we say, how can I possibly help that situation? You know what that person needs right now? They need a hug. They need a hug. My daughter was going to a memorial service of a, of a friend of hers years ago. She was very small and, and she says to me, what do I say to the mom? I want to go up and I want to say something to her. What could I possibly say to her? And I said, you don't have to say anything. Go up and give her a hug. That says enough. The fact that you were there, the fact that you crossed the threshold of where this memorial service, you spoke an abundance of words. But when you go up and you give her a hug, you are fulfilling a need. Sometimes we just need a hug. People just need a hug. People just need to hear that, hey, man, I love you and I'm praying for you. And yeah, sometimes... There's a heavy lift involved. Sometimes there's some time and there's, there's some sweat equity involved in us helping people out. And there's sometimes when you got to take money out of your pocket and you need to give it to us. You need, you need to give them something that they need. Absolutely. But we get so caught up in, in us not having what somebody needs when in fact, just about every single time I've ever said, what can I help you with? The ask was so minimal. The ask was so small. And I was able to meet that need. So when we think about there's people around us that are in need, and we don't want to overcomplicate, we want to meet and see the sinner and meet their need, we have to ask ourselves the question is, who is in need? Now, as we've been talking about this, you've already started to think about some people in your life that are in need. And that is the next filling in on your handout is, who is in need? John 21, 19 is speaking to Peter. And the way I look at this passage, he asks him three times. He asks Peter three times, do you love me? And, and one of the parts of this passage I really believe is it's giving Peter some focus, right? It's giving some Peter some focus. And in um, John 21, 19, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, correction, that's John 21, 15, I apologize. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, I believe one of the things that he was intending for Peter is giving him some focus. And Peter's, his lambs in that moment were the people that were around Peter. And we think about the people that were around Peter, it was those disciples, those men that were going to change the world. And he was saying, love those people that are around you. Love those people that are near you. And as a reminder to me and as a reminder to you, is ask yourself, who is in your life? Who are the people that are around you? Who are the people that are in your herd, right? Who are the, who are the other sheep that you're traveling through life with, that are within arm's reach? I shared with you when I walk into to Starbucks in the morning, when I go to the office of work, there's the people that are there. There's the people in my home, my wife and my daughters. There's the people in my neighbor. Those are the people that are around me. Those are the people that I got to focus on. God put me in the place where I am with those people that are around me. And like Peter is being told, feed my sheep. You are being told to focus on the people that are around you. You don't have to travel far because those people are already around you. Is figure out who are the people that are in your life and you already know who they are. You already know who they are because those are the people you interact with. Those are the people that you know so well that you can look to see those anomalies in the way that their behavior has changed so that you can see that maybe they have a need. You probably have enough of a relationship with these folks that you can go up and you can say, how can I help? What's going on? But for us to, to, to anticipate that opportunity but to not ignore it with the people that are in need. And then your next fill-in after who is in need is, is what do they need? Now, the reminder here is, is once again, for us to not overcomplicate it and for us to, to realize and appreciate and know that if God has put you in a situation where you're asking somebody, what do they need? I guarantee you that he has put you in a situation to provide for that need. This, this, this situation, this conversation, it was ordained, right? It was ordained for you. And so God put you there to ask if somebody has a need, he's going to provide you an opportunity to, to meet that need. Matthew 10, 40 to 42, it says, this is a large work I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. Jesus is saying, if they're thirsty, give them water. You start with those fundamental things, the, what, the need that they might have. Once again, I guarantee you, when you ask somebody if they have a need, you're going to have what they need. You're going to be able to provide it. Now, as, as courageous men, I said that we have to prioritize love. And when we prioritize love, we prioritize ourselves correctly. Now, when I say prioritize ourselves, I'm not saying make us a priority, make me a priority. I'm saying place yourselves in the right level of prioritization compared to other people. Jesus gave us a great opportunity to remind us where we are at, at in that list of priorities in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. <clears throat> Jesus replied, 
It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love people. Notice how we are not listed anywhere in that. It doesn't say in there, first love God, and then love people, and then love yourself. Now he says love your neighbor as yourself, because there's absolutely this, this notion that we know how we want to be loved. But we aren't listed in that, that list of priorities. Jesus knew if you love God and love people, you don't have to worry about being loved. When we prioritize ourselves correctly, our, our, needs will, our needs will be met. When we love God and we love people, we won't have to think about ourselves. In, 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 uh, in the, the warfare community, there's been a phrase that's been used for, for many, many years. When I'm focused on the mission first, and I'm focused on the, my, the soldiers first, the men and the women, the mission, the men and the women, and then me, when I follow that order correctly, we will be victorious. When that gets out of the way, when I worry about myself over the mission or the people, that's when things get complicated. In fact, one would argue that if you focus on the mission and the, the soldiers, the men and women that are involved in that mission, you won't have to focus on ourselves at all. But we have to prioritize ourselves correctly. But that takes work. It takes effort, right? It takes obedience. And that's your next fill-in as we draw ourselves to a close here in just a few moments. We are called to be obedient. Philippians 2, 3 to 5 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. When we are obedient, we are accepting the fact that it's going to cost us right? It's going to cost us. And when it costs us, that's when it, that's when it really counts to us, right? That's when it really counts to us. You know, we were called to leave everything behind us, right? Leave everything behind us and to follow Christ, to deny ourselves, to put everything behind us. And that requires us to be obedient, to make that choice every day, to be courageous and not be a coward. And part of that courage is us being obedient and us accepting that we are to have the same mindset of Christ to do for others. So we are to call to obedience and to be obedient. Next feeling is to deny yourself. To deny yourself. There's a, there's a saying I, I use quite often in men's ministries. I say, so what, what's your gut telling you? What's your gut telling you to do? And before they answer that question. I said, do the opposite. And they look at me kind of confused. I said, because your gut's telling you about you. Your gut is being protective of yourself. And you cannot think of yourself. You need to think of others, right? Because that's what, it, that's what we are called to do when we are not cowards, but we are courageous. We deny ourselves. Matthew 10, 38 to 39. And, and I love this translation from the message. It reads, if you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin. You don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look at yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you will find both yourself and me. <clears throat> what, what this, this great picture that, you know, 
the, us as men of culture, when we're so focused on ourselves, Jesus is saying, you really want to find yourself? Find me first. You'll, and when, when you don't focus on yourself, when you don't look for me, you will find me and you will find the greatest version of you. I will find the greatest version of me when I focus first on Jesus. When I deny myself through thick and thin, like that passage says, then, then I will find him, but I will find myself. And the last fill-in here, as we draw ourselves to a close, is this. If not you, then who? If it's not us in those situations, if we are not anticipating the need, if we are, we are ignoring the need, if we are not willing to, to look past the situation and see the sinner, if we're not willing to meet the need, then who's going to? Is anyone going to? Are we going to walk past a situation where we could have helped and leave somebody helpless? And we don't, we don't want to do that. One of the greatest stories in the Bible, the story of the Good Samaritan, the, the two folks who were associated with the church, they were too inconvenienced. When in fact the man, the Good Samaritan, the last person that you'd think that would step across the street to help this person in need was willing to be greatly convenienced. If not you, then who? Ezekiel 22, 30 to 31 says, I looked for someone to stand up for me against all this, to repair the defenses of the city, to take a stand for me, and to stand in the gap to protect this so I wouldn't have to destroy it. I couldn't find anyone, not one. So I'll empty out my wrath on them, burn them to a crisp with my hot anger, serve them with the consequences of all they've done, the degree of God, the master. God was looking for a man to stand in the gap where there was a need. He's looking for me, he's looking for you to wake up today to realize that there's people around us in need all day long. And when we are willing to look past our own fear and not push people away, but draw them in in love, and that love drives out that fear, and that makes us men who are courageous and not men who are men of culture who are really just cowards. I pray today was words of encouragement. I pray today was words of challenge. Men don't like to be called cowards. I don't want to be a coward. I want to be a real courageous man. So like I said, this was the first of a two-part study. Next week, our focus is going to be on doing and not just talking about doing because sometimes we do a little bit too much talking and not enough doing. I pray that you have a great day. I will see you next week and go out there and anticipate an opportunity to serve others. Thank you.